listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. In politics, we should want politicians to represent and serve the people, which is why so many of us feel uh, frustrated right now in America, because uh, we often just don't see that happening. But I need to be carefully clear, I did not come here this morning to preach politics. I'm, I'm here to preach that the leadership of God's people is drastically different than the political environment that we find ourselves in today. And I think we, we should want that. Too often, the church is ran by elected officials that are called to represent the church body. Too often, the church is ran by elected officials that tell the people the good news they want to hear rather than the truth they must hear. The Bible would call them false prophets. Friends, this is not the way it should be. God's people, the church, doesn't need leaders to represent the people. We need leaders that represent Christ and serve the people. We need godly leaders that are willing and capable, equipped to stand in the face of evil and call it evil. We need godly leaders that will proclaim to the people a way of righteousness from God's word, and that is the narrative that we walk into today, where a nation is just swimming in its own filth and destruction, and godly leader rises among the people, a godly leader that will uh, listen to the people but refuse to represent the people. No, that would be a nightmare. A godly leader that will finally do what is right. A godly leader that will lead the people to victory. This is the story of the rise of Samuel and 1 Samuel uh, 7. So we'll be in 1 Samuel 7. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there. But before we um, finish chapter 7 today, let's pray. God, we confess that we are so confused. We are so confused what true leadership looks like in the church. God, so many of us have sat under some very poor leadership. God, so many of us have been taught things that have nothing to do with God's word. God, we need to know what a a godly leader really looks like. God, I, I need to know. So God, teach us uh, in 1 Samuel 7. God, show us through Samuel's life what kind of godly leader uh, I need to be, what kind of godly leader we need to be. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Let me uh, finish chapter 7. I'll start in verse 3. Verse 3 says, And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. 
and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And so the people of Israel, they put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will gather, or I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged. He judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. When the people of Israel heard of it, well, they were afraid of the Philistines. The people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And so Samuel, he, he, he took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord... The Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below as Bethkar. And Samuel, he took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin, and he called its name Ebenezer, and for he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. And so the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel was delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was also peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, to Gilgal, to Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah. That was his home. His home was there. and he, he would also judge Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. Verse 3 begins with the news from Samuel to all of the house of Israel. Who's Samuel? Well, he's the son of Elkanah and Hannah. He is the boy that was mentored by Eli in the temple. He's the man chosen by God to restore the people. Where, where's Samuel been for, for quite these few years? Where, where was he when the ark was taken? Where was he when the Philistines defeated Israel? The text doesn't say. What we do know is that things are bad. They've been bad. They've been bad the past several weeks. Destruction after destruction. And so what we know is that, that all of that is about to change. So the ark is now safely kept in Kiriath-Jerim uh, by the priest Eleazar. And now Samuel will rise to restore the people. And so I want us to look at four qualities of godly leaders from his life. What should you look for in a godly leader? Most importantly, do these four qualities exist in your life? Point one. Godly leaders care about your heart. Care about your heart. The very first thing we hear from Samuel in verse 3 is a line about the heart posture of Israel. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, what a deeply profound statement from Samuel. Like everything up to this point of the book is rooted in the exterior behaviors of Israel. It's, it is obvious that things are not going well for the people of, in 1 Samuel. We know that because we have read about their foolish 
exterior behaviors. But church, godly leaders recognize that exterior behaviors are only symptoms of a heart problem. Simply, Israel has a heart that's not right before the Holy God. And Samuel is wise enough, he's wise enough to realize that this entire thing is a heart issue. Of course he cares about the behavior. We'll, we'll get to that. But he cares about the heart first. Samuel knows what Jesus shares in Luke 6, verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Something is not okay with the heart. And until we address that, everything's going to stay a mess. I can give you story after story of men and women in the church that blow up their life in sin. And it's not just church. It's our family. It's our friends. It's people we deeply love. And we, we watch their lives and we just shake our heads. So let me just give you a, a, let's do a little fun poll here this morning. Just raise your hand if you have ever been upset with someone you love because of their sinful behavior. All right. That was every hand. It's normal. But if we stop there, it literally solves nothing. We'll be like offering band-aids to cancer patients. We offer nothing when we don't care for an eternal, an internal issue. Because all of these sinful behaviors are just symptoms of a heart that's not right with God. And a godly leader is wise enough to see and diagnose that. Godly friends can see that in their friends. Godly teachers can see that in their students. Godly parents can see that in their children. Godly elders can see that in their congregation. Getting annoyed and frustrated over sinful behavior literally solves nothing and probably will lead you to sinful behavior. Church, we need godly leaders that actually care about the heart, the root of the problem. And if I can jump ahead in the story, I'm saying this because God says this to Samuel a few chapters later. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If the Lord cares and looks on the heart, why would godly leaders do anything less Godly leaders are wise enough to see the past, the exterior, and actually care for what's going on in the heart, which will lead us to the second quality. Godly leaders call you to repentance. It's interesting that Samuel says, if you're returning to the Lord, which is an honest statement from a godly leader because we never really know like, how genuine someone else's repentance really is. Maybe they just feel guilty. Maybe they just want to make you happy. Maybe they're just lying to you to get what they want. It's difficult to know when someone is serious about repentance. But as a godly leader, Samuel knows repentance isn't just lip service. He says, if you're serious about returning to the Lord with all your heart, here's what you need to do. Put away your foreign gods. See, repentance is always both. You can change your behavior and not return to the Lord with all your heart. 
but you cannot return to the Lord with all your heart and not change your behavior. Godly leaders call you to both. Godly leaders go after your heart and behavior. Martin Luther simply said, to do so no more is the truest repentance. This is Revelation 2.5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and then do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So I guess the question is, do you and I want godly leadership like that in our life? People usually say they do at the beginning, to be fair. But I think most of us just want the first part and not the second. Like we want to be good with God without getting rid of the foreign gods. We want to return to God but not change in anything. So when a godly leader calls us to both, we push back. Like, hey, you're being judgmental. Christians are just so judgmental. Feel judged, we feel rejected, we walk away, we find a, a new church that doesn't know about our issues. Find a new preacher that tells us what we want to hear and none of that difficult stuff. We need godly leaders that will call us to repentance. Friends, I need that. I need godly leaders in my life to say, Jason, are you all right? Put away those foreign gods in your life. I hope I'm, I'm, I'm a godly leader, but I'm not above being led by godly men in my life. I need that. So praise the Lord, Samuel, a man of conviction, for he calls Israel to an internal and an external change. Put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you. Direct your heart to the Lord. Serve only him. He will deliver you from, the, from these Philistines. So what did they do? Verse 4. They put away the Baals, the god of weather, bringing good crops and financial success. They put away the Ashtaroth, the goddess of, of fertility, connected to love and sex. And they returned to the Lord with all their heart. They put away their idols. Godly leaders are constantly doing that in their own life and then calling the people to do that as well. If you and I are serious about returning to the Lord, we will be serious about both sides of repentance. There's an internal and an external reality. Do you want godly leadership in your life? If you do, you will be called to repentance. So when you and I are confronted in our sin, don't say, I'm being judged. Instead say, I'm being called to repentance. And that's what I signed up for. Four qualities of godly leaders. Here's point three. Godly leaders pray for you. They pray for you. Godly leaders care about your heart, call you to repentance, but they also pray for you. Samuel, he gathers all of Israel at Mizpah, a city about five miles north of Jerusalem. Actually, it's a gathering place of uh, the tribes of Israel. Even during the time of the judges, you see this in Judges 20, verse 1. Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord and Mizpah. So Samuel is gathering the people together, 
for corporate repentance. Simply Israel as a nation is getting their heart right before the Lord. Samuel's first intention, his first intention upon gathering the people together is to pray for them. A godly leader standing before the Lord on behalf of the nation in prayer. And they pour out water to the Lord as if they're pouring out their souls to the Lord in genuine repentance. They fasted in their mourning. They lamented over their situation. We have sinned against the Lord. So true, true repentance doesn't happen without prayer. Prayer reveals our heart posture. Prayer reveals the motivation. Prayer reveals the dependence. John Wesley said, Have you any days of fasting and prayer? Storm the throne of grace and preserve therein, and mercy will come down. So the, God, the godly leader prays, and so the people repent, and so the mercy of the Lord falls down upon them. But an old enemy still lurks. And in verse 7, the Philistines hear that Israel has gathered and that it is a prime place to attack. I mean, why not, right? Like, they've defeated Israel countless times. Why not again? Israel, they hears the, hear the news and they're covered up in fear. Like, not again. This can't, this can't happen again. Everything seems like it's coming together. The ark's back. Samuel's here. And so they, they plead with him in verse 8, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And that's what Samuel did. He prayed, took a nursing lamb, and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Godly leaders pray for you. Do you know, like I pray for you. Pray for repentance. Pray for encouragement. I pray for you when you're sick. I pray for you when your marriage is rough. I pray for this church. And we have a new prayer team with the leaders that call people during the month to pray with them. We have church staff that prays for you every week during staff meeting. We have uh, elders that gather every month and pray for you. This, this church will rise and fall on prayer. Please know that, that in this church you have leaders that actually love you and are praying for you. My question is, are, like, are you praying for the people that you're leading? Do you pray for your coworkers? Do you pray for your children? Do you pray for the kids that you coach and teach? This is John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why do godly leaders pray? Because we can do nothing apart from Christ. Like, I can't change someone's heart. I tried. I wish I can. Can't change my children's heart, but I pray to the one who can. And here's the best part of all that it works. Prayer works. Defeat after defeat, judgment after judgment. Like that's all we've been talking about the past few weeks. It feels. I feel very self-conscious teaching just judgment after judgment every week here, but we're just walking through the text. But prayer works. Their heart posture has changed, and the Lord will answer his people 
as we see in verse 10, the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines. The enemy was thrown into confusion and defeat. The Lord defeated the Philistines, and the enemy was um, taken out as far as Bethkar. You can see that on a map. Um, I don't know why I'm showing so many maps <laughs> this series, but you can see from Mizpah Mizpa over to Bethkar. Friends, the most revealing reality of your heart will be your prayers. Show me a man's or a woman's heart by showing me their prayer life. You can be a leader and not pray, for sure. But you absolutely cannot be a godly leader and not pray. And I, I, I need to hear that more than anyone else in this room. Four qualities of a godly leader. Here's point four. Godly leaders worship the Lord at home. The enemy has been routed, and Samuel, in his humbleness, does what every godly leader does. He gives credit to the Lord. Brian already mentioned it in the communion devotional. He sets up a stone near the place where the Philistines were defeated, and he names his stone Ebenezer. It actually means the stone of the help, or the helper is a stone. Simply, Ebenezer is saying, the Lord has helped us. And you might have um, even sang that song your entire life and not know what Ebenezer means, but, but that's what is referencing in, in that great hymn, Come Thou Fount. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Samuel, in the great defeat against the enemy, he doesn't raise up Israel. He doesn't raise up himself. He raises up the Lord. That's what godly leaders do. They give credit where credit is due and credit to the Lord. So Israel will only be as strong as much as they have recognized that they're only strong because of the Lord. For Samuel says in verse 12, Till now the Lord has helped us. We raise up our Ebenezer. It's finally over. Enemy had been routed. The cities of the Philistines from Ekron to Gath were restored to Israel. Like there's, even, there's even peace between Israel and the Amorites. Now that the Amorites realize, like, all right, Israel's the powerhouse. Let's leave them alone. And what we find in verses 15 through 17 is how Samuel spent the rest of his life. He went on a circuit every year. He went on a traveling ministry excursion every year from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, just making this giant loop from city to city. And he would go to the city and he'd spend time judging the city and setting up a place of worship to the Lord. A busy guy, he traveled a lot. Constantly had his hands in ministry, and yet verse 17 shows us as a healthy reminder that he would always return home to Ramah. In God's good grace, he returned home every year to the place where his parents lived. And in God's good grace, it was in Ramah that he built an altar to the Lord. Because as much as those other cities needed to worship the Lord, Samuel needed to worship the Lord at home. 
godly leaders worship the Lord at home. That's the dividing line between a legitimate leader and a fake leader. Godly leaders worship the Lord at home when no one's watching. Convicting reminder for myself, like just zooming around town doing ministry, preaching on Sundays, um, talking with church folks on the phone about God and the Bible, leading meetings, counseling sessions, doing a lot of worshiping the Lord in public. But do I worship the Lord at home? That's a heavy question for myself. My kids are watching how authentic my faith really is at home. Your kids, your grandkids are watching, like, are they going to be different here than they are at home? Godly leaders worship the Lord at home. He built an altar there to the Lord. And I think of all the kids that walk away from the Lord. And I have to believe that some of that is rooted in this. Now, not all situations, but many. Kids that grew up in religious homes with lots of rules, but never or hardly ever saw their parents actually worshiping the Lord at home. Not that rules or boundaries are wrong. They are necessary, but it's not a godly house because you lay down the law. It's a godly house because you magnify the Lord before your family. It's a Christ-exalting house that's a godly house. It's a house that raises the Ebenezer. It's a house that builds the altar. What you do at home matters. Godly leaders worship the Lord at home. Several years ago, uh, we started doing these uh, yearly staff evals uh, for our church staff, an opportunity for staff to create some uh, goals and vision for the new year. A chance for the elders to get to know uh, staff a little better, to hear their heart for ministry. and uh, It's a great way to just be, have some honest communication and feedback. Um, so I emailed our staff a document to fill out ahead of time. And then I emailed the elders a suggested questionnaire of things that they could ask during the meeting. And I'd say it was probably pretty helpful uh, when, we, when we did it. Um, there was a lot of good feedback, but I think we realized it shouldn't just be the other staff that get evaluated. I should, too. Um, so I asked the elders to evaluate me. It was a weekday afternoon uh, when we gathered in the church office for my evaluation, and Chris Fortner, uh, one of our elders, he sat at the end of the table of that meeting. And if you know Chris, uh, a very quiet, humble leader, and wasn't expecting the question he was about to ask me, we prayed, and then Chris calmly uh, looked at me and asked me the very first question, what sins do you struggle with? I'm like, come on, man. Like, are you serious? I'm so here to talk about ministry. I'm here to, to discuss church life and where East River Park was headed. And this guy's going to ask me about my personal life. I'm both proud that he asked me that question and nervous to actually answer it. 
Because the truth is, like, I, I need godly leadership just as much as anyone else in this room. I'm thankful for our elders uh, that actually care for what's going on in my heart rather than just what I produce in ministry. Like, it, it, do, it does mean a lot to me to be surrounded by godly leaders that actually care about my heart, that call me to repentance, that pray for me. Like, do you, do you see the importance on all of this? I have, have I not convinced us? Let me rephrase that. Has the Word not convinced us in the past 11 weeks how important godly leadership is? So the question is, is your main question in your notes, are you a godly leader? I mean, the church doesn't need less but more. We don't need one godly leader to rise. We need many. Without godly leaders, nations will fall. Without godly parents, families will crumble. Without godly elders and deacons, this church will implode. Without godly leaders, I would not even be able to stand up here today as the pastor. We don't need more opinions. We don't need more complainers. We don't need more virtue signalers. We need godly leaders. Are you a godly leader? If you want to talk about anything after the service or just want to be prayed over, love to do that. But let's pray and then we'll sing a closing song together. Father, thank you for the conviction of the word, just knowing, standing over there this morning, talking about four qualities of godly leaders and wondering, am I being a godly leader? God, I, I need repentance just as much as anyone else. I need a heart that is right with you more than just as much as anyone else. And I have my own gods to put away. God, I'm thankful for your word and I pray that we would see the significance and the importance of godly leadership and what's at stake. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.